You're listening to the Medic Materials Podcast, hosted by Mike Turk, Emily Yates, and Gerard Cuomo. All our current EMS providers and educators with a combined 30 years of EMS experience. Each month we discuss EMS news, medical science, and review actual EMS calls, offering many educational opportunities to the listener. Portions of the calls have been altered to protect the privacy and identity of all involved. Hello and welcome everyone back to the uh, Medic Materials Podcast. I'm joined here with Emily as always and Kelsey here too. Yay, hi. Yay. 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 So uh, one thing we are missing though is our resident paramedic, Gerardo. Uh, he is actually going to be taking a leave from the podcast for a while. Uh, he didn't actually tell me how long, but what I need you guys to do is if you miss him, love him, want to send him a message, uh, go on the old Facebook at Medic Materials EDU, send a uh, Facebook message, or you can email us at info at medicmaterials.com and just send us a, a little thing like, hey, we love Gerard. We want to... We want him back, but we send did. him a meme. He loves them. Oh my god, memes. he loves he memes. Loves them. Send the memes, <laughs> and I will forward them to him. It'll make, as Kelsey says, his heart happy. And yeah, we'll we'll just hope that he returns uh, in a quick fashion. But for that, he actually said, or one of you girls said, I don't remember, said that his seat is now going to be called the hot seat until he returns. <laughs> And we filled the hot seat oh, with uh, one of my <laughs> friends. No pressure. Uh, he's a fellow EMT that's going to be joining us for today. Uh, Matt, hello. Welcome. Hello, everyone. I, I am going to let you introduce all of your certifications because I'll probably fall asleep by the end of <laughs> when you're done. So um, We'll yeah. be back in five. Yeah. Like you said, uh, I'm uh, an EMT basic. Uh, I've been that since uh, 2014, 2015. Uh, but I've been a firefighter for longer, uh, so that's where a bulk of my certifications lie. Uh, I am the chief of a local fire uh, fire department. I'm the chief of a local EMS agency. I run EMS at another agency in the area. I recently uh, passed my certified instructor coordinator exam for New York State. Yes. So um, and I can get out and officially do all the things that I've been trying to do for the last five years. Uh, I was hired as a state instructor. Uh, for the fire service back last year. So I've been doing that. Uh, recently got my fire instructor too. So I'm actually certified to write lesson plans as well, which I have no intention of ever doing. Oh, come on. You could have so much fun with that. You could have so much fun. <laughs> I could, but I work for the state. So, <laughs> so probably um, not. My views do not necessarily represent <laughs> the state of New York. Um, and uh, I... Uh, and you went to nursing school. I, I, I am currently enrolled in nursing school, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, so I have not actually taken any of the nursing classes yet. I'm, I'm what we would call a nursing pathway at this point. Um, that's going to take some time. I have three little ones at the house that need care. And yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, with all of that experience, we're going to throw you right into your first call review here. So, uh, so my, my experience is all educational, but that's, that's uh, <laughs> like the, the field experience. Hey, you took care of me when, uh, when I passed out that one time, what's an ambulance. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm, I'm theory, man, not practice. <laughs> well, you'll you'll get a little bit of both today. All right. Cool. All right? All right. So uh, we're going to start the call review today. Uh, this was actually a call that uh, Gerard wanted to present, but since he is taking his leave, we're going to carry on and present it anyway. So uh, standard system, standard EMS system, one transporting ambulance staffed with an EMT basic and a paramedic. So two provider crew. Your local hospitals in this area, you got a generalized local hospital 20 minutes away from the scene and a large urban medical center approximately 35 minutes to 40 minutes away from the scene, okay? It's a uh, a fairly rural residential uh, neighborhood, and your dispatch priority one or a Delta priority to the local urgent care for a 71-year-old male with difficulty breathing. Anybody have any thoughts on urgent cares before we start? <laughs> Get them all out on the table now. They suck. <laughs> Just go yes. in with a clear mind. Don't go. listen to them. I see. I think you have to listen to a point. Like but you have keep to keep your take mind in, clear. You Don't to... let that shade your judgment right. because they've already made a decision on this, and it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> yes, I, I. Yes, we'll we'll go with yes. The very first call that I ever ran on the ambulance, this was back during my clinical time, was to the local urgent care. We were dispatched for a male who was hyperventilating. That was it. Or to Kipnik because they're DKA. No big deal. It's (laughs) fine. So we get there and his blood sugar is high. Yep. See? See? It's almost like you knew this story. It's not just to Kipnik. He is at 40. Just hyperventilating. Relax. And yeah, give him are, a brown paper bag. He's fine. Well, Send him out. So we, we, we're trying to... And, and the nurse is saying... They try the paper him, bag? We have him on a nasal cannula at six. Oh, yes. I, Love it. Me at least it was a non-rebreather at six. I, I know shit about shit accurate. at this point. All I know is... I'm going to bag that down. That's all I know. Uh, I'm just going to support that because that's going to stop at at some point here. And sure as shit, we get him loaded in the ambulance and we're not two minutes out of the door. And homie decides. He's too tired. I'm not going to breathe anymore. (laughs) I'm tired. Now time. That was also the first time I was ever introduced to the uh, to the IO drill. Ah, yes. Was it my father-in-law? No, it was not. It was uh, Sounds like a very father-in-law type call. No, but it, it was, it, if you know your father-in-law's closest uh, ginger relative, oh, it was him. All right. And, uh, all right. It, I'm wondering who's doing construction in the back of the ambulance because all I hear is, <laughs> and I didn't know this was a thing. So, yeah. Um, I'm never too fond of urgent care dispatches. Um, they give... Maybe the basics, but you're right. Uh, they give their interpretation of what's going on. And I'm going to tell you, too, like, not to interrupt you. No. I worked at an urgent care, but I didn't do anything medical. I was the check-in girl. And guess who calls the ambulance? Me. Yep. And I have no idea what's going on. So they're having somebody who hasn't evaluated the patient, has no medical knowledge, and this was pre all of my healthcare experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm calling the ambulance, and I'm like, well, what for? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, chest pain. You make something up. What do they check in for? You get that's all the information you get. So they it's not reliable information. Yeah, and even more so, it, it hurts when we'll get called there. It, there is an urgent care in my first due ambulance district, um, and 
we will get the call for the person they haven't even seen yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they refuse to see them. Right. They, right. You couldn't meet your copay. You don't have insurance. Right. Uh, we're not even going to touch you. So we'll call 911 for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've taken more than a very critical patients out of the urgent care that sh- that could have received some kind of stabilizing, some kind of treatment, but were given nothing for lack of 20 bucks. Right. So, yeah. Or even the urgent care that's in our district, we see it that they walk in and they go, oh, you're too sick for here? Yeah. Yeah, we're just going to call not sit in the waiting room and we'll just yeah, call you a bus. we're not even going to pull you back. Right. We're, we're not gonna even going to call the ambulance. Call, like, yep. It's it's incredibly ridiculous. I mean, there's a lot of things urgent cares do, and they do very well. And then there's others where it's like, why do you exist? I got I'm a fantastic sorry. set of stitches from the urgent care one day. I mean, so I, it, it actually worked really, really well. I went there when I broke <laughs> my ankle. They splinted me fantastic. Like, yeah. there's, they're definitely useful for certain yeah. things. Yes. But so and, I don't want to sidetrack the call review, but, you know, it says something that so many people are using the urgent care as... Yeah, Uh, that's all they have. Right. Um, Which I think is is a great argument for community paramedicine outreach from the local hospitals to say maybe we can take some of these really acute cases or the inappropriate cases, even, you know, the, the, the little sniffles or the whatever it is. Say Okay, let's let's move that to community paramedicine rather than clogging up this very viable, useful pathway to. The ER. And there's mm-hmm. a snowball effect on it because yeah. when the urgent care is overwhelmed, n- not too long, you're going to get the ERs that are overwhelmed. And then you're going to get the hospital itself that's overwhelmed. So you could stop that yes. influx. Yep. All right. So let's continue. You're dispatched again, priority one, Delta priority to the local urgent care for a 71 year old male with difficulty breathing. You got that one transporting ambulance with an EMT basic and a paramedic. Okay. Uh, EMS arrives, they enter the facility. They're met with a nurse practitioner, not a doctor or typically you see a PA, but this is a nurse practitioner in this one, and an RN inside the patient room. The uh, The nurse practitioner reports a 71-year-old male with COPD exacerbation. They do. They report a history of COPD and a hypertension history. At this point in time, no vitals are taken. The patient is uh, seated on their uh, exam table in an upright position on their portable BiPAP unit. Not, not, this is the, this is the patient's portable BiPAP. Not the the urgent cares. (laughs) Um, Patient brought BiPAP with him. Don't worry, I got the BiPAP. And uh, on that portable BiPAP, they are, their SpO2 is 77%. So (laughs) for you guys as a table, what do you want to know now? Like, is there information that you want to know right off the bat that they, that this report didn't provide to you guys? Maybe that's where I look at Gerard. <laughs> Sorry, I'm waiting. This is going to be so, an adjustment. Did he come in on the BiPAP? He or, did. He did. Have they done any sort of intervention no. at this point? No. No. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. Oh, okay. Does he know this, what his... this was again one of those. Oh, you look really bad. Let's just call a truck. Does okay. he know what his normal O2 sets up? So typically, no, he does not, you know, sit there and go, oh, hey, it's 87 today. I'm doing good. <laughs> Some people do know Some that. Some people do. Did, did you, what is his mentation? Uh, we'll get there. Okay. Be that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
mean, is, Cyrus, he, is he a happy hypoxic? Uh, you know, is he? No. Okay. We, we'll, uh, we will okay. get to how how happy this this so poor he's, guy he's is. Grump, so he's, 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 he's a grumpy guy. <laughs> okay. All right. So with this report, before we get into what this patient actually looks like, is there a a treatment or a route that you guys are starting to think of? Initially, he's on BiPAP, his portable BiPAP, COPD exacerbation is what you're told, with a SATA 77. No other vitals are taken. What is generally better for patients, BiPAP or CPAP? BiPAP. Yeah, typically BiPAP. And we'll get into why um, later on in the call. That was a, that was a teaching point that I'm going to talk about. But just from a BLS perspective, I'm looking at if, if he's already on some kind of We'll call it airway splinting, right? If he's already on some kind of device, I'm going to consider buterol. I don't have the uh, the ability to do a duoneb as a BLS provider, but if this is an ALS truck, maybe we're looking at adding atrovent to the albuterol, something to open up the airways a little bit more since we're already splinting them with the BiPAP. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's let's see what this guy actually looks like. So the uh, the EMS crew approaches the patient. They find him alert and able to follow commands. However, he only answers in one word statements or with silent head movements. So the nod yes, the nod no. Okay. He appears in obvious respiratory distress. He appears to kipnic, diaph- extremely diaphoretic, with significant accessory chest muscle use. And as this paramedic described it to Gerard, who then described it to me, he had the respiratory bug eyes, which if you yep. if you've ever seen those, you know exactly yep. what I'm talking about. OK, I, I there's no way for me to explain what a respiratory bug eye is. It's almost like G.I smell like you know you, you walk in it and just you just, it's just this <laughs> like you can't describe it um however they find the airway is open it's clear he is wearing that uh, personal bipap and peripheral pulses are thready and weak presentation bad good ugly what are your thoughts pretty ugly pretty ugly i agree pretty ugly okay um does this change any of your guys immediate thinking to what this gentleman needs right here is there assessments that we need to be doing is there treatments that we need to do is this copd did they listen to long sounds see i almost kind of want to start over like start fresh like so urgent car has already put in our heads that it's oh well it's copd yes but what if it's not so why don't we go back to square one start and move quick because he's not doing well okay is the bipap okay here so is the bipap working because it doesn't really I mean, seem to, to be for me. To me, at seventy. To me, he's seventy-seven. Yeah, that's not. That's not working that's in not my effective. book. Yeah, no, I would take it off. Start at square one. If I have CPAP capabilities, maybe consider that. See if that improves him at all. Okay. On my machine. All right. Um, so here's what the crew does. Right, the medic pulls the nurse practitioner side to gather a further medical history because. They need it, right? COPD and hypertension is the only thing they've given so far. The EMT begins to get the stretcher ready to extricate the patient. They Their thought process in this crew was get them out of the urgent care to our office, right? We can treat them better by ourselves. The RN staff is now out of the room gathering paperwork. The nurse practitioner, when questioned, denies any CHF, uh, CHF history. 
no significant cardiac issues, and uh, they were uh, pneumonia positive. They were treated for pneumonia four months prior, um, and the NP stated that this gentleman is COVID-19 negative. Again, who knows when that <laughs> Thank test you, was... pandemic. Right. Who knows <laughs> when that was taken, but this was during the pandemic, so... That's a question that we all should be asking, right? Um, the medic goes, okay, goes back into the room, right? Uh, the medic finally listens to lung sounds. Here's wheezing on inspiration and exhalation bilaterally in the apexes. Here's nothing to severely diminished in both bases. Great. Okay. Why is that great? It's not, not great. great. It's a sarcasm. <laughs> But what do you what do we gain from just that? Not using a lot of the or he or she, I don't even remember, is not using a lot of lung tissue to perfuse right now. Okay. So we're thinking perfusion issue at yeah. this point, possibly, right? Definitely not having a lot of gas exchange Especially to facilitate that perfusion. You said Especially in the lower, he's got nothing going on. Yeah. I mean, if you're severely diminished or absent, and there's no air getting down. Saturation is at seventy percent already. So Yeah. 77 at this point. So the medic decides this is about the time I should probably get a full set of vitals since the nurse practitioner and the nurse didn't do that yet. So peripheral pulses via actual palpation is unobtainable. The medic feels a pulse, a radial pulse, but cannot count the rate. BP on the uh, the auto cuff or you know, the random number generator on your monitor <laughs> spits out 200 over 150. They recheck this with a manual cuff, and it's 210 on 160 via the manual cuff. And the respiratory count is around 36 to 38, significantly labored on this BiPAP. Um, treatments for you guys. Where are you going here? I know what I'm thinking as as the paramagician at the table, um, so the and, and I'm only. thinking and I'm thinking exactly what this provider was thinking right off the top of my head. You just got a COPD history, right? That's what the COPD and hypertension. Not an asthma history or anything like that. Not that you know of. Because I mean, how old is he? Uh, Seventy-one. As of right now, why you, couldn't they you get can it? Feel it's weak and thready. It's weak and thready. You can't count it. You can feel it. And they didn't, the, the pulse ox hasn't been put on from the EMS crew, nor the cardiac monitor at this point in time. So, so let me jump in here. I, as a provider, are already thinking this guy is an intubation candidate right oh, off the bat. I was going to say, I mean, are you right? going to even I'm, waste I'm the time and try CPAP or are you just going to intubate them at this I, point? You know? At this point, CPAP until I get a second medic. And then they're getting intubated. I would nebulize the like nebulizing the CPAP until you're ready. Yeah, I I think CPAP a nebula a duo neb as long I as also, you have the CPAP. And I also wonder how long he's gonna handle it. Yep. I mean, if he's at seventy percent and then he loses his mental status, there goes your CPAP. So I would I feel like I would jump on that while I can and see if that can do anything. I agree. I think that's this is one of those calls where I'm calling for the second medic yeah. at this point in time. Um, unless you're, you know, one of those weird agencies sections that like can do one provider RSI and then by all means roll the dice, but uh, I'm <laughs> no not, thanks. I'm not with that. <laughs> no so, thanks. um, so this provider does actually 
think the same way. RSI is 100% warranted in this for the reasons that mm-hmm. you're stating. I agree 100%. They call the second medic to the scene. So at that point, the crew decides outside now, mm-hmm. right? They move the patient to the stretcher. Now, this is the first time where in the story it is expressed the size of this patient, right? 71 years old, about six feet tall. However, like 375 to 390 pounds. Bigger gentleman, right? Bigger gentleman, probably not the best tube, I would think, like going through the heaven criteria. I'm thinking this is probably a bad intubation. That's just, I don't know. It's just my personal thoughts. Um, Once the patient's on the stretcher, they attach the pulse ox probe to their cardiac monitor. It still reads 77%. They still have them on the BiPAP, okay? Um, It is their decision to take the gentleman off of the BiPAP at this point in time and put him on a non-rebreather at 15 liters. Right now, they don't have CPAP at their disposal. It's in the truck. So this is a, you used a great word, a splint, until you can get them to the CPAP, right? Um, And then they move to the ambulance. I'm going to pause here. Where where are your guys' heads at with the treatments that this crew's doing? Do you want to do something different? Would you have done something differently inside before moving this gentleman out? Where do you think this is still COPD the way he's presenting with the long sounds and stuff that that's presenting? Do we need more history? What do we need? What do what do we what are our thoughts? This is where I look at Gerard. Um, do we know where the history is obtained from? Like past medical records or directly from the patients? So they are going off of past medical from the facility. He, again, was not able to answer in a lot of verbiage. So they just said, don't talk. We'll just get it off the computer. So they could be missing something huge. Sure. You have allergies. Any? No allergies. Nothing nothing that they were told. This crew has not looked at paperwork. No edema at this point in time that you can note. I, mean, I guess he's that pounds, big, so. you can't tell. And that's, that's a very yeah. accurate... Sometimes when you're looking for edema, it's just all fat. Like, you can't tell. Cankles is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> are, we, are we good with the route that these guys are taking? Do I think we still given think... the information they have, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't think... You know, I think they're right on. Right on? All right, so now they're in the truck. They're in the ambulance. The medic decides, switch them from the non-rebreather to the CPAP um, in belief that this is still a COPD exacerbation, right? There's wheezing. They're clamped up. There's, you know, no, you know, air movement in the bases. Um, Maybe this CPAP can get stuff down into the lower lungs, right? Okay, question. Yes. So... I'd be so disappointed if she didn't say that every single podcast. <laughs> That's very <laughs> So COPD gets so bad that you're wheezing in the apices, you're so closed off in the bases. Mm-hmm. CHF, can't you get the same way you're so fluid filled that there's nothing that you're hearing in the bases? And- would you be wheezing? Yeah, actually, you can get wheezing. You can. But what else would you hear? Ronky. You could. I'm not saying that this happens every time. 
So in my mind, like they're they're going with the COPD route, which I'm all for because given what they have, I think that's the best option. But I'm not throwing out my CHF yet. Okay. See, because you would also hear fluid, but you might not always. Right, especially if they're that clamped off all the way up to their APCs already. Right, and remember, you and I have had the conversation, and I think it's it's a a great conversation to throw in right here is the fact of why you get silent lung sounds in a CHF patient, right? The lungs are trying to protect the alveoli that still work, right? They're clamping off all of those bronchi that have fluid in the alveoli. So that's where you get that cardiac asthma from, right? It's just wheezing, but it's not actually asthma. Asthma. It's in response to the CHF cardiac problem. So when you have left side heart failure, you could get rails to begin with in the lower bases, and then all of a sudden you hear nothing but silence and wheezing in the tops. And that you don't hear the rails anymore right. because everything's clamped off. And if somebody has size, you have a hard press to find the other markers for CHF. Right. It's, I don't, it's very true. And I don't disagree with these guys for going down COPD first, but I would not throw out the CHF and I'm keeping nitro in the back of my mind. Yeah. I, I agree with I agree with everything. I'm I am looking at the CHF solely based on blood pressure. Yeah. At this yeah. too. Like you don't the typically get a COPD like patient with 210, 200 right. over 150s. That that to me is a CHF. Yeah. Can they get ahead nod yes or no if he's been taking his hypertension meds? Uh he has. He has. That he is compliant with all of his that. meds. But even if he wasn't, you still you're still concerned with CHF at that point. Well, yeah, yeah, but it would factor in a whole lot more than if he right. And just think, look at look at. I mean, he's unhealthy to begin with, right? right? He's overweight. Overweight people tend to have really terrible hearts. Not the best lifestyle, right? So it's definitely a possibility for CHF, even though they're like, hey. It's COPD. Go down COPD. Because that little seed was planted in their brain. Well, that's it's, exactly... That's why I have an issue with urgent cares. They plant the seed and then we never look around for anything else. Right. And I would be really scared because if if I'm a paramedic going in thinking solely COPD, right. I'm going to give them CPAP, give them the oxygenation. Yep. But if, they're, fixing the if problem. they're clamped down so hard, I'm now thinking epi. If they're this bad, their right. respiratory rate right. is is gold for epi. Their presentation looks gold for epi. Absolutely, epi fits in COPD exacerbation. Well, now if now if I give them epi and I open everything up, I might have just trouble. I might have just screwed them if, if I don't have them on the CPAP. Which is why for me, for these guys, if you're going to go with the COPD route, that's fine. But when you're thinking meds, like my the med, my first choice in the back of my mind that I'm keeping is nitro. Yep. I'm not even considering epi. Yep. I've been sitting here thinking epi, epi, epi the whole line if it's not CHF. Right. right? If, if this is truly a COPD exacerbation, then epi is going to be... Oh, know, yeah, the go-to. I mean, again, I, I, I put the caveat of BLS provider. I can give epi <laughs> now for asthma attacks. <laughs> But, you know, if, if my medic isn't thinking Epi, I'm going to be, you know, like Tinkerbell on their shoulder Happy. going, Epi, yeah. Epi, motherfucker. You know, yeah. like, that, that's what I'm going to be whispering to them. But if it is CHF, uh, it goes back to the, I want to make sure I've got that splinted positive right. pressure airway right. before I do this so that we don't, you know, release all that fluid into all the lung spaces right. now. Mm-hmm. But 
I, I've been thinking Epi for. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's continue. See what these guys do. So they're in the ambulance. Remember, the medic switches them from the non rebreather to the CPAP. Right. They're going down the COPD route. Um, while placing the COPD mask, the patient begins to horrifically cough. Right. And this is not like the I'm about to die cough. This is just they <laughs> okay. horrifically cough. The COVID cough. Not the COVID. COVID negative, negative, remember? Right. It was three months ago, but it's anything. fine. It was COVID negative. Right, because that means anything. Because nothing changed in three months. Not at all. Um, so uh, the medic continues after after the cough. They continue to place the CPAP. They place the PEEP at five. Okay. Um, yay, PEEP. We'll, we'll have a discussion about PEEP. So, um, the rabbit video? Rabbit video? You have to have seen the rabbit lung video. I haven't even seen a rabbit lung. Seen video. the rabbit lung video? No. Right. Never mind. We'll put it in the show notes. I promise. I'll find okay. it for you. Awesome. Send it to me. <laughs> the link will be down below, folks. <laughs> um, is it down below? I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> there, okay, cool. It's it's the show notes down below. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> the medic while while putting on all the CPAP stuff, the the medic asks if this cough has been productive at all. And the patient responds with a head nod, yes. Okay. And the medic then asks if the productive cough is normal for this patient. And he nods, yes. Okay, cool. So the medic then asks, what the heck color is it? Well, the patient can't talk. So the medic quickly realizes, well, now I'm going to have to go down to rainbow. So he goes, brown. Head nod, no. Green. Head nod, no. Right? Point where it is, sir. That would be some Boslo tape. Hey, yeah, which color, color is it? <laughs> That'd be so much easier. But eventually, uh, they get to red, pink. Oh. And he nods yes, finally. So the EMT during this time is attaching the cardiac monitor. That's important. So, um, go EMT. Before I jump to what you guys are thinking, I want to first quickly butt in and talk about Peep. You said yay, Peep. I love Peep, right? Uh, for those who don't know what Peep is, it's positive end expiratory pressure. It's the pressure that remains in your lungs on the end of your exhalation phase. So what keeps your lungs open? That's the pressure that we're thinking of, right? All of that nitrogen air, all of that, you know, stuff that remains, that dead air that they talk about in class, that is what remains in your in your lungs. Typically, we have a PEEP of five, roughly five. It's a little less than five, but roughly five, we'll say, at all times. When we are trying to oxygenate a patient, we can do it two ways. We can give them more oxygen, so increase their FiO2, say from 60 to 100. They're already at 100% oxygen. So the only way to oxygenate your patient is to give them PEEP. Increasing PEEP is going to increase the pressure within the lungs to keep the lung tissues open. 
specifically the alveoli for gas exchange. So ultimately what that does is you hear about um, like recruitment. So what that's doing is when you're thinking of your alveoli and you're thinking of the little bundles of grapes, Mm -hmm. that's how it was taught to me. Yep. And you think of their their shriveled up like raisins. When you increase the peep, you're recruiting. So you're rehydrating those raisins. Yes. And the more raisins you get to rehydrate to grapes, the more oxygenation you get. Yes. And that's why we increase peep. And that's why we increase peep. That was the best analogy ever. Thank you. I dressed up as a grape to do that in uh, Without without the recruitment, what ends up happening is those alveoli actually start to collapse Mm -hmm. and they stick together and the air is not able to get down into all the fields without that pressure reopening the field. So like I said, the rabbit lung video, which will be in the show notes, um, (laughs) actually shows this perfectly. You can see in the lung tissue how the sacs... How, how all the lung fields open up upon the the ventilation of the lung. And then upon exhalation, you see the entire lung tissue just collapse. And it doesn't just deflate like a balloon. It almost shrivels up. Mm-hmm. And without PEEP, you lose the, the recruitment that, that yep. Emily was talking about. And you get... Um, a much harder time re-recruiting those alveoli for the next cycle. Uh, respiratory cycle. And and here's the biggest thing. I did a video on this. The, did everyone see my clamp video? Right? It's the I biggest. Did. Oh my God. The biggest. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna hear about it now. Because the people that didn't watch the YouTube video on why everyone should carry clamps, EMT or medic, doesn't matter, is for <laughs> recruitment of peep. Right? If you have an intubated patient. And you go and you've been, you know, bagging them with the peep valve on or you've been CPAPing the, or not CPAP on a BVM, but venting them with a ventilator with peep. Thanks. <laughs> um, he, he, him, he's making a, oh. he, never mind. Um, I was making fun of Mike. She, she was telling me that it's on the Facebook page. I said, I saw it on the Facebook page. I just scrolled past. <laughs> just didn't watch it. I just kept going <laughs> okay. to look to the next meme. <laughs> which is so okay. You put it in a meme. Which is okay. Pay attention. And, you know, apparently, you all your videos down to meme memes. form. I can't. I, I, I need Gerard to do that Work for me. All right. Paging Gerard <laughs> to make a meme. It'd be done like that. Exactly. Um, so yeah, with with the um, with the idea of recruitment and peep, if you've had an intubated patient, they're on a BVM with peep, they're on a vent with peep. If you've been you know breathing and ventilating for these people with peep for say a half an hour transport, now you're there at the ER, you're about to do your bed switch. Okay, cool. You have to change that vent tubing or you have to switch the BVM from one thing to the other. As soon as you pop that BVM or vent tubing off, what happens? The chest compresses, pushes out all the recruitment that you've just gained for the last 30 minutes. You take your finger off the top of the straw. You don't put your nasty ass finger. (laughs) We've all gone to McDonald's and gotten the shake. And you, who you, you does get, that? You get the <laughs> what? Go to McDonald's and get a shake, or what? Shamrock yeah, shake should so, be coming out soon, and right. I am thrilled. So, but it, it's like when I'm you've got fluid in a straw, you put your finger over the top of it, and you can pull the straw out, mm-hmm. and the fluid stays in the straw. You're, Correct. you're creating a, a, a suction within yep. the tube. Hence, why you clamp the tube. 
So that's the finger on the straw. Exactly. Just use a clamp. That'd be really gross. I mean, hey, if you're putting no. your finger on the tube, just lick it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a gloved hand. It's a gloved finger. It's a glove that I haven't changed since I got in the ambulance and I've touched everything. I just want to say this is why, side note, several times. Exactly. This is why we don't record at night. <laughs> we lose all control. Is it past Emily's bedtime yet? <laughs> it's past it's mine. Past my it's not past your bedtime. Your bedtime's 3 a.m. Yeah, we still got time until my bedtime. Anywho, so that was my peep discussion. So um, I think peep here is awesome. I was right? going to say, I actually would probably go up. Like, um, I mean, like, how five? did his oxygenation do from on the non-rebreather or on the CPAP? Did it improve it, it at It did all? not change, no. Yeah, I would, I would increase that. Okay. Um... What were his, on the BiPAP, mm-hmm. what were his settings? Uh, I don't have settings, okay. but I have SpO2, which was 77. Uh, yeah, I'm just but wondering I don't have if the, the gates needed to be moved up mm-hmm. for this particular instance. You know, the, if, the, if the high and low peep thresholds needed to be changed right. on the BiPAP to, to accommodate whatever this is but then right. the cpap would have worked but then, the cpap ultimately is moving those settings up if if you've got the peep at yeah that right right if you gauge the peep correctly at that point so we've got him at five maybe he needs something more than right. that right i would i would moving on i'm only going to move on a little and just for those that don't understand cpap bipap right cpap is continuous bipap is Bi-level. So it, they do the same thing. CPAP just pushes one continuous pressure at your face. So those that, especially like asthmatics, who typically have trouble getting air out, are now breathing against this continuous pressure, which is why BiPAP works really well for them because you have two different settings. You have an inhalation pressure. You have an exhalation pressure. So I, I think it's a very interesting idea changing settings Except that most EMS personnel, unless you're on a flight team that has BiPAP in like their LTV, don't know what the heck they're doing. It's CPAP or nothing. CPAP or BBM at that point. This will go to a future conversation (laughs) of education standards. Yes. (laughs) Kelsey has a question. So would it be better for like, let's say you do, this provider does know how to work this patient's BiPAP machine. For somebody like him, would it be better to have a increased pet? pressure in all fields when he's inhaling and exhaling or just inhalation just exhalation i'll let emily take that uh i would not i would increase both settings but i would probably increase the inhalation more the other thing that i would actually consider doing is flipping so you normally have a two-to-one inspiration expiration expiratory rate right so it's two think two seconds in one second out so consider flipping that. Give them a longer. Give them e a longer. Time. Right. Exactly. Give mm-hmm. them a bigger chance to get everything out. Yeah. Um, but Especially to, but when you're talking air trappers. Yeah. So for when you're, if you're thinking CO, not that they're not that they're noticing. When you're talking about peep though, I would want to recruit more lungs. So I want that pressure to be higher. In sp- want to recruit as much lung tissue as I can without blowing up their chest. You can't just blast the peep up as high as it goes and call it a day. I mean, some people would, but that's what we call please don't. trauma. Please don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please don't. Uh, so at this point in time, okay, we'll get we'll get back. He's he said he's bringing up 
productive sputum, red in color. Uh, he's still 77% at this point in time. He's on the EMS CPAP with a PEEP of 5. Okay? Blood pressure still was that uh, 200 over 150, 210 over 160 on the manual cuff, labored at 36 uh, respiratory count. Pulse, still haven't found that out yet. Okay? Um are you guys with this new information? Are you still on the COPD train? Emily is. I've jumped voraciously, shaking I was, her head. Listen, I was straddling it. I've totally. We jumped were on the, the seesaw before. Yeah. Now we're just okay. Yeah. So I don't think that they did anything wrong following COPD up until this point, but I think with the hypertension and the pink frothy sputum, or however you want to describe it. Yep. Ready, think, pink. Yeah. Sputum. I think so I'm going CHF. You're on the CHF train? On the CHF. Yeah, I think everyone is. Yeah. Everyone here is on the CHF train? I'm punching that ticket now. <laughs> okay. So the medic, who is fabulous, uh, decides <laughs> I'm, on the, I'm on the CHF train too, right? Immediately goes down Emily's favorite path, administers three sprays, sublingual 0.4 milligram nitro, 1. <laughs> 1. 1.2 milligrams total. Three sprays right on the tongue, right Boom. off the rip. Get it done, right? Well, you got a lot of blood pressure to play with here. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. even if we tank it, that's still going to bring it down to a normal rate. Right. <laughs> and Probably still hypertensive. Yeah, right. Probably still hypertensive, yeah, right? right? Um, so at this point in time, uh, the cardiac monitor, remember the EMT was placing the cardiac monitor on while all that conversation was happening. And the initial rhythm on the monitor shows a SVT, a supraventricular tachycardia at 200. Already. Okay. Uh, the medic goes, uh, 12 lead, please. Um, <laughs> and 12 lead performed. I just want Okay. The EMT knows how to do a 12 lead. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. I agree. I, I I think that's absolutely amazing. As um, as long as they're to me, as long as they're taught right, every yay time. me, yeah, stick them up, um, yay me. It's just I again, I'm I'm jumping into that educator role of it's unfortunate that so many EMTs are taught oh, the monitor is magic. It's it's a witchcraft item, and you do not you touch don't it. touch it. And in it, fact, when you go for it. I'm going to slap your hand away because it's not yours. You're good See, no. carry it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can carry it from, you right, know, the, it's too the, heavy. the fly car to the ambulance or the ambulance <laughs> to, to, the, the, to the scene or wherever it is. Um, you may be allowed to hook up a blood pressure cuff and a pulse ox, but don't you dare touch that, that four, those four liters. Which, the, the which is crazy don't because the I have the opposite end of that spectrum where... I'm looking for my monitor, and it's already in the EMT's hand in the house. And I I'm can't like, tell you how many times what, I've had my hand slapped what? away. Like, I, you don't need to be carrying that yet. Like, I'll let you play with it, do whatever the heck you want, but let me touch it first. Like, <laughs> you got mine. other things to do, like a manual blood pressure. <laughs> so, again, that's... that's Get that. Don't trust the monitor only as far as you can throw it, which if it's a life pack, you're not, <laughs> not very far. <laughs> but it, it was it was actually uh, my wife who who taught me how to do 12 leads because it was never covered in mm -hmm. any of my classes. And even in the first few months of ride time, um, she was, you know, a coworker at the time and, and now wife, which very lucky. Yeah, you. <laughs> She's awesome. She's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but she was the one who taught me how to do 12 leads and and it's not covered. And so yay for this EMT 
knowing, okay, four lead, simple enough, follow the damn directions, you know. <laughs> and even R-A-L-A, then they fuck it up. The R-A- leads are labeled. Yeah, yeah they're, they're labeled. Yeah, you but even, even then they the fuck old, it up like, and they put them on the fire. stomach. I know. Like. So, <laughs> out on the limbs, please. That's why they're called limb leads. But then knowing how to hook up a 12 lead and, and acquire that so that the, the medic can be focused on other things. I, mean, I hate to say it, it it's a monkey skill one of those things that you should just know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really no, no higher thinking in terms of, okay, here's where the leads all go. Right. But it's one of those things that just advances the professionalism of the team. I agree. Makes the patient care much better. Yep. So uh, the 12 lead spits out of the very heavy monitor. And, uh, <laughs> using life hacks. <laughs> uh, and uh, it confirms... AFib rate again 200 no SV or ST elevations uh, are seen upon the looking the uh, the AFib is not actually seen it looks like an SVT it's just what the little old computer box is saying rapid AFib whether or not this paramedic believes that little printout I typically tend not to or at least go okay that's what it's thinking but now let me find out what it really is maybe they match maybe they don't Okay. Um, is that something noteworthy for you guys that we have a blood pressure 200 over 150, but then we also have a heart rate of 200? You're thinking. I mean, yeah, it's noteworthy, but I'm not. What are you going to do? Get fluids? No. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't think I'm really going to touch that heart rate just yet. Okay. All right. Interesting thought process. So let's, let's, let's carry down the stream here. Huh? That means I was wrong. <laughs> or you just would have done it differently. It doesn't mean or you're wrong. I would have done it differently. Okay. So uh, d- after the 12 lead, medic decides, I got CPAP. I'm going down the CHF route. I've given my sprays of nitro. I'm going to try and fix that wheezing, right? Uh, mixes a duoneb. That's albuterol, atrovent, the 2.5 milligrams in 3 mLs of fluid for the albuterol, and the 0.5 in the uh, 2.5 milliliters of the atrovent okay um the emt at this point finally begins to sift through the paperwork packet right um and a history of afib and chf were both discovered within the paperwork that was not earlier reported, right shocker way to bury the lead (laughs) glad i figured that out already (laughs) right we figured that out right um i it's, it's, it's nice. Yet. It's nice. I mean, I agree. I think it was taking interventions that maybe would have sent us in the wrong direction. So you know, we're we're behind the eight ball, but we're not buried. And I, I think it's. I would absolutely still encourage the EMTs like go through the paperwork, make sure we're not missing mm-hmm. anything. But that's why I say don't take everything that these doctor, any doctor's office, it's not urgent care. Don't take it all for you know. Keep it in the back of your mind, but right. keep an open mind. Absolutely. And I think this was good to sit there and go, hey, I should probably be looking for other stuff. What meds are they on? Do they have any allergies? None of that was really told by the facility, right? COPD, hypertension, here's your patient. They have trouble breathing, right? That's what we started with. So um, at this point, the medic on scene is thinking, where the hell is that second medic that 
I called for so much earlier uh, for that RSI. Well, the dispatch returns the message saying, poorly, sorry, you know, that second crew is stuck at a train crossing. They're going to be delayed for like 15 minutes. Long train. Um, is the Are they in the direction of the hospital or are they in the not direction of the hospital? These guys are actually in the direction of the hospital. So the the second paramedic was coming to way. them, yeah, right, we're, behind we're gonna start, them. We're going to start moving in that direction because the other thing this patient needs is maybe some diesel therapy to, to get them to definitive care. Okay. I, I can agree with that. Sadly... These guys don't wait. They start going. So that's a good that's a good thing. They did not wait for the uh, the train. They didn't wait the 15 <laughs> minutes. We've talked about how oh. people wait, right, on this podcast. But these guys uh, through the through the paperwork actually found a DNR DNI on a most. So oh, the RSI oh. would have been thrown out the tube anyway, right? There's, you're pff, you're shot at that point. So why that do we need really a second medic? Right here's where definitive care is. Okay, in my book, and now, right? Um, before we go on, I I want to backtrack into just we've had an earlier discussion of the CPAP and CHF with the Duonep, right? We want that the we want the CPAP, we want that positive pressure, even if it's BiPAP, BBM, whatever type of positive pressure you have pushing that fluid through the alveoli into the vascular space. We want that. However, I think it's great that this paramedic waited to do the Duoneb until the CPAP was up and running. Because what I see so often is you hear wheezing and you give the Duoneb and then you flash them. We've already said that. So, Point taken, one thing to save your patient's life and to make it so that you guys aren't behind the eight ball. CHF, positive pressure ventilations, then open them up. Then open them up. If you are not giving them positive pressure ventilations, do not give them the shit to fix the wheezing. Don't give them the albuterol. Don't give them the atrovent. It's not worth it. Um, you have to remember for, for a CHF that's wheezing, it is their body protecting itself. Right. So don't take it's It's like the conversation we have for the tachypnea on, a, on an acidotic patient. Yeah. Their body's trying to fix it. Don't change that. Yeah. I Let agree. the body fix, the fix it. Balance before you, right. Before don't you attempt to, don't to bag them down. Right. Exactly. Mechanism. When their body is doing a great job compensating right now. Right. So if they're I, DKA and they're breathing at 48, leave let them, them at, breathe 40, at 48. At eight, right. Don't change that. And it's the same thing with the CHF. Don't open it up when their body has clamped down to protect that airway. Right. Let Unless it go. Unless you have the positive and, pressure. Right. Then, right. by all means, have at it. Right. Fix it. Awesome. There's a place for that fluid to go. Absolutely. Otherwise, you've just now killed all the... Drown them. Wouldn't right. that make the CPAP work better, theoretically, by opening everything up, make everything push out? Theoretically. If you're quick enough. If if you're applying the duoneb and the positive pressure in close enough succession to one another. You know, he's talking about you know flashing the patient. You open everything up before you establish that pressure pushing things back. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a fun few minutes. Well, now you're fighting against that fluid pressure coming out of the vasculature. And remember that albuterol 
has to be able to get to the lung tissue to be able to work. So nope. if you're oh, if you if you're slamming them with CPAP and then automatically starting the neb, it's probably not going to do as much as if you gave them five to seven minutes on CPAP then gave them the nip, which is kind of what they did here. They waited for a few minutes to let the CPAP function and give you that starting point, and then they gave them the duonib, which I, I agree with everything here. Like, There's nothing that I've seen so far that I'm like, bad paramedic. Yeah, no, they're doing <laughs> like, a great they're job. They're doing a great job. They're doing job, a great job. They right? the gold star so far. Yeah, and, seriously. And, on this show, that's pretty hard to get. You're not doing the bad paramedic, no hot meal for you. You're like, <laughs> seriously, these, these guys. Depending how this goes, you might great. get ice cream after. Oh. Hey, hey, they're not firefighters. <laughs> <laughs> they get ice cream with sprinkles. Oh. Um, I didn't say they were winners. They, they are still a paramedic. <laughs> these guys may or may not turn into winners. We'll it's see. Yes. Okay, they. I they, know they're doing well. They're they doing really very are. well. We're on the way. You know, we're we're. Second and third base right now. You know, yes. we're, we're not on the home stretch yet, but there's nothing yeah. I would have done differently yet, except for increase the peep. No, no, no. What was the other thing? Oh, the heart rate. You're you're oh, right yeah. now sitting on yeah, don't fix I'm the heart not, rate. Yeah. Okay. So after this paramedic realizes they're not getting their second medic, they this patient has a DNR DNI. They quickly are realizing that they're being smited by the EMS guts. <laughs> That was literally what was told to me that they felt at that moment in time. Smite me, almighty smiter. Not, not really the like pucker factor, like, oh shit, this just got festive, but like, why me? Right? <laughs> anybody but me. So they, uh, they quickly pull out their protocol booklet, right? Best decision I think ever, mm -hmm. right? I do it all the time. I think more people, when they're unsure, should go to their resources. Why are we afraid? And that's right. it. Why? We're given this we're tool. too proud. It, it, yeah. Yes. Um, and and it's unfortunate because we're given it, yes, there's a there's a cookbook mentality behind it, but at the same time, it's going to remind you exactly of you know, the other pathways that maybe you haven't considered and maybe you know we can we can or maybe a, you we can tiptoe a little bit down this pathway right. and see what's going on. Maybe you considered it and it didn't fit then, but it does now. Yeah. It's going to bring you back to that. But let's not be so proud yeah. that we have to think, oh, I, I took the protocol test. I know everything backwards and forwards. Well, right. Okay. In a, in a calm testing environment. Yeah, you did in a, in a nice, you know, air conditioned, yeah. well lit. <laughs> Already had you know, breakfast. Had you, my coffee. You crammed the night before. <laughs> you got a good night's sleep. You got a good meal. You, you did your whole, what is it? Your scar. 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 Yeah. yeah. Right? All that. Right? Go you, you got pissed off and you, you saw something red and you took your test, right? But now, you know, you didn't hang your head out and look at the red lights on your way to the call, so you're not nearly pissed off enough. I, I don't know. It, Use the tool that's been given to you and, and refer back to those reference materials. And, and I'm even okay with, even if they didn't want to pull out the protocol booklet, I'm even okay with them calling a doc and being like, hey, doc, phone a friend? this is phone what I got. Yeah. Like, yeah, phone a friend. I, this is what I got. This is kind of where I'm thinking. What do you think is the best route here? Lay out your options. Right. Be like, this is option A through option C. Which do you which do you want? Or do you want to give me option D? Right? I think that's even okay. So this paramedic pulls out their protocol booklet and they specifically uh told Gerard that they cross-referenced the COPD, 
the pulmonary edema, and the narrow complex tachycardia protocols. And they were specifically looking for a happy medium of all three, right? You're looking at me like, why? Well, no, I'm just <laughs> thinking of our protocols. Okay. You're still looking at me like, why? I feel well, like. Well, no, if, if they're thinking of the happy medium in their protocols, they've really done a lot of the COPD, the CHF. So now they're going to, I feel like you're going to tell me they're going to gear towards the heart rate. But in reality, like that might have been what I would have done being there. Okay. Because they've treated the other two. They have treated the other two. Further statement? What's that? Retract your further no, statement? No, I wouldn't have touched the heart rate when I found it. I wouldn't have done that. How about now? Maybe. I honestly would have to look at my protocols. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't memorize them. And it's not like an EMT in your okay, spot is going to blue. do anything yeah. for narrow complex tachycardia. In fact, I'm not going to do jack shit. Right. Like, I might. <laughs> I should. I will radio the hospital and let them know. Oh, right. man. Sorry, <laughs> guys. Your medic's still behind the train, so. <laughs> right. I'm still in bed. <laughs> the box of things I'm allowed to do is only so big. <laughs> so, yeah. Mine has two levels. <laughs> it opens up and. Stuff folds out. It's like a tackle box. Remember those old tackle box? I was old enough to have that tackle box. I was old enough to rummage in that. Yes. Yeah. In Poughkeepsie. It was fun. Um, Okay. So the EMT is told by the medic to search the medication list, specifically looking for beta blockers or calcium channel blockers. Yep. Okay. I'm so confused. Are they driving to the hospital at this point or like? No. I hope, uh, I'm going to go with no. I'm going to have faith I, that the EMT is not going through the paperwork and driving at the same time. I would you hope. Know what? I, mean, I would hope so. I'm going to go with. be the first time. But I like these two are, yeah. so far. I'm going to okay. give them the benefit of the doubt. They are not <laughs> going to the hospital yet. However, this whole thing has, in the ambulance, has only been approximately 10 minutes. Okay. So okay. it sounds like they've been there for like 45 but it's really only been about 10 minutes, right? It's not that terrible. So the medic is trying to gain IV access at this point, tells the EMT, go through paperwork, specifically looking for beta blockers, calcium channel blockers. And they're doing that because this paramedic's uh, narrow complex tachycardia protocols are based off of cardizem and metoprolol, right? Cardizem is a calcium channel blocker. Oh, metoprolol is the beta that. blocker. You just I'm went so- over that last week. I'm sorry. Week. It's all right. Kelsey knew that. Okay. Emily and I made the eye contact that I knew what you were talking about, too. Okay. So, Kelsey, because you and I have talked about this, what are the two paramedic drugs that are sodium and potassium channel blockers? Because um, we've talked about that, too. Amiodarone. Is? Sodium. No. Nope. No potassium. Okay. Then I don't know what the other one is. Lidocaine. Lidocaine. We still carry lidocaine, right? Lidocaine was what we used for supraventricular tachycardias before, before all the fun ones came cardizem out. Cardizem. Yep. And metoprolol came out. And then they were like, oh, well, we came out with cardizem, so now we're going to use lidocaine for ventricular tachycardias. And then now amiodarone came out. And now lidocaine is like, eh, you carry it, you push it for an IO, and that's it. Like, it's sad because lidocaine worked great. It did. It worked great. But then something came along that was better. So it, It's not better. They could charge more for it. Oh. You could make lidocaine for three <laughs> cents a vial. You could make amiodarone for three cents a vial, but they charge $30 a vial. It's Got it. More or less all it was. Um, talk, to, talk to Mark about that. He'll tell you the whole story. <laughs> 
Um, so the medic gets IV access, 18 gauge left AC, and the, the EMT finds that the patient is prescribed metoprolol daily. Okay. I don't have a milligram rate or, you know, dosage, but metoprolol daily. So the medic decides I'm going to fix the heart rate. Okay. I'm going to go down the narrow complex tachycardia protocol because it's still beating at 200. And what they're believing is an SVT, which the 12 lead monitor has said is an AFib, right? A rapid AFib. So this paramedic, per their protocol, uh, starts an infusion of five milligrams of metoprolol in a 100 ml saline bag over two minutes. Are we okay with that? Everyone's like, yeah. I'm more or less looking to Emily. I'm going to need an explanation of what's the difference between putting it in a bag and just pushing So do you want to take that? No. Why not? Because I don't put anything in a bag. <laughs> really, it's... I push everything. Okay. So for in the EMS realm, why we mix stuff is so that effects are spaced over a point in time. Right. If we had medics like perfect example is morphine. Right. Why do we give Zofran before every morphine push? Get all up. Because we exactly because we all suck. <laughs> so protocol designers, the docs that sat there and said, this is what we can do. Go. Oh, look, they make people nauseous because slow IV push. Doesn't mean anything. They Their go definition of slow does not match our definition. Well, that's of it. There's slow. no. Right. What's the definition yeah. of slow? Right. So you know, a paramedic goes and puts it, it in over. And right. it, was it was over ten, 10 it was seconds. Over ten seconds, and yeah. now the their patients like, <laughs> you know, and you're like, okay, with metoprolol, if you're going to be slamming it in, which I assume most providers are going to go, oh, slow push, ten seconds, right. Metoprolol as a beta blocker is going to specifically check your beta one um, receptors and how it typically we use metoprolol for blood pressure, but how we're going to change rate is that it actually elongates the time the electricity impulses take to get from the SA node to the AV node. So that time elongated is now going to decrease the amount of beats you can have over one period of time, which is why heart rate drops, which in turn is why blood pressure drops. So if we slam it, well, now we could have a big change over a short amount of time. We don't want to make people bradycardic. That's more or less, it's a safety issue. Ultimately, you're diluting it to get yeah. longer effects. Right. I like it. So I I agree with fixing the rate. And I want to talk all about chicken and the egg kind of thing at the end of this. So at this point, vitals are retaken. Blood pressure, 180 over 150 via the random number generator NIBP. Heart rate, still 200. Respiratory rate is 32. And the SpO2 is 80% on the CPAP with... The, the, the Duoneb and the PIPA-5. The metoprolol's hung, and they beat feet priority one at this point to the large urban center, which is 35 to 40 minutes away. I'm okay with that decision. Even though it's respiratory, 
I'm okay with that. Wallen root, 10 milligrams of uh, Decadron is given as a steroid. IV push, I'm okay with that. Um, the second Duoneb is started. Uh, at 15 minutes, post the first metoprolol dose, a um, the heart rate had dropped to between 139 and 150 beats. Now you can clearly see an AFib, right? Still a rapid AFib, uh, but an AFib. BP is 150 over 98 with a respiratory rate of 28 with now no accessory muscle use. Awesome. Well, we see an improvement here, right? Wheezing is still present in the apexes, but now you have wheezing bilaterally in the bases. Gotten a few more fields involved. Right. We're we're opening shit up, right? Uh the medic decides to increase peep to 7.5. Yeah. Speaking of my heart. Yeah, see, heart happy. Heart this, happy. Is great, this is great. Uh and a second dosing of five milligrams of metoprolol in the in another hundred bag is given over two minutes. Okay. This medic decides that uh just because Metoprolol affects blood pressure. They're going to hang a thousand bag to piggyback on that, but they only give about a hundred mLs of it. So really, they're not over hydrating, over watering this patient, right? Um, they get to the hospital, and this patient is now able to speak in two word sentences. Is more verbal, a little bit more perky, no eye bulge, yay. And um, a little bit less head nodding. Do they look like Sid the Sloth? The eye bulge? Yeah. I don't know who Sid the Sloth is. So I Iceland? Or Ice Age? Iceland, yeah. Uh, with the lisp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> yeah. Um, like Sid when he's scared. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. It would uh, look like. So at the hospital, vitals are taken again. Uh, BP, 122 over 68. Awesome. Uh, heart rate AFib at 95. SpO2 is 89. And they actually say, I'm, a, I'm feeling better. Well, right? shit, why don't we just turn around and take them all? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> right. And at this point in time, respiratory rate is somewhere in the mid-20s, 22, 24-ish. So I... Overall, I will, I want to say this call went extremely well. Compared to well done. everything that we've ever talked about, very very well done. I I think. I agree. Kudos. Well, we did yeah, end up job. with like nine providers in the back of the ambulance. <laughs> Damn so straight, we see it on that point. <laughs> They're still behind the train. <laughs> That's right. The RSI of doom, right? <laughs> oh wait, he's got a mulse. I Never mind. <laughs> um. So the last, before I ask what you guys' uh, final thoughts are, I want to have like a chicken and the egg kind of discussion. So this paramedic gave three doses of nitro right off the rip for CHF, but then never returned back to it, decided to give the metoprolol to fix the heart rate. Do you guys... Where do you think the problem started? Like, yes, this patient has a CHF and, and AFib history. The way when this case was presented to me and Gerard and I are talking about it back and forth, I was thinking AFib 
started first. He got the rapid AFib, which then caused the left side heart failure to turn into pulmonary edema. Like he already had CHF. So he's already got a weak, flabby left heart, left side, left ventricle. Now you add a fib onto that, which is now not a perfusing, you know, it's not perfusing at 200, 220, where this paramedic found them. Is that going to set the CHF off, which then is going to make the pulmonary edema worse? That's my camp. I'm going to stay that. Fix the heart rate, fix the breathing, because you, you, I mean, you're still fixing the breathing in other routes, but I think fixing the heart rate was key in this. I don't think they would have gotten a lot better if they didn't fix the heart rate. I don't Your think thoughts? there would have been nearly the success of this transport if they hadn't addressed the heart rate. Yes. Would the patient have been feeling better with? Know the this app breathing interventions yes undoubtedly they would have felt better but i don't think it would have been nearly as positive a patient outcome at least upon handoff at the at the ed that it was without looking at okay what are we going to do to address the heart rate how are we going to fix that um i, th- I think it was a cardiac driven issue and that was that's my thought process i think the cardiac issue started the chain of events. Looking back at vital signs, before the metoprolol was hung, this guy was at 80%. Without the dex, without the second duo, without the metoprolol, with a you know, with a blood pressure of 180 on 150 and a heart rate of 200. With the CPAP, the PIPA5, and the, uh, the first duo neb, they increased 3% on their SpO2. I don't know without a heart rate change if that was going any higher. So I actually think opposite of you. I think that it was a CHF thing that exacerbated the AFib, but I think that once you get to a certain point, you have to fix the heart rate. I'm not I think that the treatment was the same and I'm agreeing with you guys you have to fix the heart rate to mm-hmm. fix this problem. What came first the chicken or the egg? Like I don't well, think at this it. point it matters. I, I agree with their treatment. And I said from the get-go, like, I wouldn't fix the heart rate just yet. Mm-hmm. Again, we've been talking about this for an hour. They were on scene for 10 minutes. Different, right. Two different ball games, But, like, in my mind, it's CHF before it's the AFib. But I think that they were just to the tipping point that you can't get them back without fixing that heart rate. Right. So, it, I, And I'm wondering if this would have been different if that first AFib heart rate was, like, 150. Right. If it wasn't 210, right. 200. Right. What would have we seen if right. it was 150, right? Like maybe would they have gone down that pathway if if it was simply at 150, or would they have chalked that up to, oh, you know, his his sympathetic system's in overdrive right now. Right. He's, he's he's in fight or flight because he can't fucking breathe. Right, right. You, you know, right. and that's, that's it. Like right. so, and again, I don't know if I as a provider would have even touched it at 150. Right. I would have been in your camp. Let's fix the respiratory. Yeah. Let's fix the CHF. Because he's probably 150 because of the CHF. Right. Yeah. We're at 200. I'm almost flipping gears right. where I'm thinking the AFib's what caused the CHF. We totally could. It, who knows? Yeah. You'll and, never and I know. Think, and I think the treatment plan was great. Right. Whether you think that it was CHF or AFib that caused all of this. Yep. I think the treatment plan worked. So I'm curious, just with you thinking, um, you know, maybe CHF driven, and what's the, what's the patho 
physiology there? The, how is the CHF driving the, the AFib? Up? So I think that with that, that heart failure and then the fluid overload, I think it was just too much. Okay. And I think that this is me thinking, and this is me creating a whole scenario in my head. Like he's having shortness <laughs> of breath. He's waiting waiting, waiting, waiting to the point that you you can't speak going into urgent care. Like, I think that if it was an AFib-driven thing, it would have happened sooner. Now, I don't know, because I have no idea how long the symptoms have been going on. I don't know. Urgent care. And I don't, and I don't either. Right. <laughs> Who knows? But, like, in my mind, he's 400 pounds. Mm-hmm. He, you know what I mean? He's a bigger guy, probably not the healthiest. Like, to me, I don't know. For some reason, I just think that CHF had happened first. I mean, it that, I didn't think of it that way. It makes sense. I've and again, we won't know. Yeah, and I don't think know. it matters. It doesn't, exactly. It really That's doesn't matter. It's one of those like, oh, I cool. could beat myself yeah. over. Right. Like I could beat myself, which came first. Leave that to the white coats to determine, you know, you, they'll you never had figure the it out. an outcome that was a right. success. And, and I'm with you. And I don't even think then, they'll ever they'll figure never it out. Figure, I don't think you'll ever know what came first. Right. Just the fact that the, the fact that they treated both and they did ultimately fix that heart rate mm-hmm. is what mattered. So the only other thing that... Me looking at it from a a medic provider standpoint, which, you know, I'm going down the same route, except I think I would have done one thing different. And I want to see your guys' opinion. This paramedic decided to do CPAP, give the duoneb, figure out, okay, it's CHF, immediate three shots of nitro. I'm I'm there with them. Give them a topolol. Awesome. I'm there with them, too. The Dex, awesome. The Duoneb, awesome. Then they gave the second Metopolol treatment 15 minutes post the first. I don't know if I would have done that. I think I would have snuck in another. So the BP at that point in time was 150 uh, systolic. I would have snuck in another spray of nitro right there. Paste on. We don't carry paste anymore. No. Years ago. And I hate so paste. Nitro I do too. With that sloppy that and disgusting. Like it makes people pass nitro out. Paste. No. Sublingual, patch, paste, a bunch of different ways to administer yeah. it. So Ivy nitro. I thought we were talking about some new fan. Uh, no, no, no. 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 Ivy paste. paste is old school. So I think the only thing I think, me as a provider, I would have snuck in another spray of nitro because our protocol at 150 is still one spray. I'm with you on that. Right? Up to one, like 150-ish to like 180 is two sprays. Anything over 180 is three sprays. So I would have snuck in another one spray, give it five minutes, then Then done the the other metopolol. I'm with you on that. Solely because I want more of that vasodilation right. so that fluid has somewhere to go and you still have blood pressure to play with and you're starting you know a fluid bolus minor you know maintenance fluid i can't really say it's a bolus if they lose pressure with right, the ball, i'm ready i'm okay with that you can fix I that but again i don't think they did anything wrong i think that's just an extra step that i would have thrown in there yeah the, i'm gonna the, do that the only downside to that is you give everybody in the back of the ml's a headache from the overspray but Meh. i think it I'm Whatever. with you on. I like paste. Give me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's old school, but you don't get the headache, right? Um, I, I think with the with the space that you have to play with in the blood pressure, that's certainly a viable thought to, mm-hmm. to throw that in. New EMT Kelsey, what are you thinking? She's still marveling over the fact that nitro came in paste. (laughs) (laughs) Something of like toothpaste in my head. Um, It's almost consistency. How do you even like measure that? You just kind of like you put it on a little. There's a 
Yeah. So so there's a, a film. It comes with a piece of paper with a little measuring tape on it with. OK, if it's within this blood pressure, you put this amount of you paste. It on. So if it's right. So yeah, if but it's, like I could cake my paste on for like an inch and you could put like very little across the inch. Again, this is why it's not there Have anymore. I've never heard the phrase titrate to effect. In the yeah. hospital, it's called a nursing dose. Right. Yeah. And again, I couldn't tell you how many people I've known personally when I was an EMT be going in there doing lead placement and stuff and then go through paste because the nurse well, goes. You're supposed to put the inch on and slap the thing on, put a tape over it, it doesn't move, and it's not exposed. Right. However, supposed to. come on, people. People don't do what they're supposed to. Jesus Christ. This is the plan. I had, Earth. I had a paramedic pass out because of that once in the back of the ring <laughs> with their patient. <laughs> so it happens. Um, so anything else to add? Kelsey, anything? I want to say yay EMT for knowing those drugs because that's technically not something that they have to know. But, yeah. like, I mean, Emily and I am going to make it cards with me on friday i'm ready i told you i know i'm bringing my index cards but i think that's a good thing just like because you do end up i mean i end up even on transports like looking and be like oh i don't know this drug and i write it down to figure out what it is later and i think that's just a good thing that everybody should do like no matter what level you're at because then you're gonna have a patient that can't talk to you and you'll be like i don't know what any of this is for Mm -hmm. you could spend 15 minutes looking up new drugs but if you don't know at least the common ones and that's it like there's there's definitely something to be said you don't even have to know what this drug is. You just what do know they take it for? what it's for. I'm okay with that. Like knowing even the prefixes or the certain parts of the words. Yeah. Like the laws like, or the right. statins. You're like, oh, okay, statins usually end in this. Beta blockers typically end in this until the company throws in a, you know, and then they go and say, go fuck yourself. And it's like, oh, oh awesome. Thanks. But I encourage Why you, did you change do it? that on every patient. And like, yes. nobody will bitch more than me on a non-emergency transport. I promise. They're soul sucking. <laughs> I get that. Look at the meds and go over it. There's going to yeah. be one you don't know. I there you was we had one the other day we didn't know. I know there was a few the other day that we had to look up. There's mm-hmm. always new diabetic meds. You never fucking know what those are. <laughs> yeah, I just and look I swear at the names memories. are getting more and more weird. They're running out of them. That's Genuvia. Yeah. <laughs> I was just <laughs> thinking that one. Come from. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. So, um, if there's nothing else, uh, we will see you. What what month is next? March. March. Awesome. Oh, so yeah. it better be warm. It I just bought my no. shamrock shake. It's not going to be warm. It's not going to be warm. This if any paramedic gonna, can get their shamrock shakes. They're going to dump more snow on the Northeast, I'm sure. So, yay where we live. <laughs> You're smiling and all pouting. today. You got your what? What? Your snow boots. Your snow boots. Wow. Good for First you. First time I ever had snow boots in my life. Oh, man. So proud. You've lived in New York for how long? I know, seriously. My whole life. (laughs) But she's a Spaniard that doesn't know Spanish, (laughs) too. (laughs) All bets are off. (laughs) I mean, snow boots off the table. We We get six feet of snow per year. Fuck snow boots. I wear slippers. It's Crocs. Just put them in four wheel drive. The adventure strap goes back four wheel drive. It's all fine. It's so weird. I don't know how people wear those oh, things. I love, I love my Crocs. I love them. I don't own a pair of sandals. I can't rock the Crocs. I don't own a pair of sandals. I, I rock the Crocs and socks. Firm believer. Yeah, that's not. Is that like is that like female mandals? Is that like famdals? 
Femdals? I, 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 I don't know. Do you wear the black socks? This is why we can't. I wear my Carhartt socks. I wear my Carhartt socks. Your Carhartt socks. Carhartt socks and Crocs. I was going to say, like, (laughs) this is going terribly. I'm going to end it right here. Guys, we'll see you in February. Stay safe. We'll see you in March. Damn it. (laughs) It is February. Is this the mid month? This is the mid month. Like, yesterday is Valentine's Day. It will be February when it goes out. No. Or is this the March mid month? This is no, this is this is February fifteenth. So he's saying okay. goodbye, I'll see you in March, but he said I'll see you in February. Right. Yeah, but we will see that. Uh, this will go <laughs> out in February, right? Correct. But, but I'm saying, I'm saying I'll see you in I know, in it's future. not February, I get it. I'm just Don't trying worry. to plan when this came out. <laughs> like four days from now. Okay. The day so. after Valentine's Day. So anywho It's the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad none of this will be in there. <laughs> Because people will be like, what, what the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> they just lost they their damn mind. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's 10 o'clock. What do you want from me? Good gravy. <clears throat> All right, guys. We'll see you in March. Thank you for listening. Again, if you want to send Gerard a uh, happy miss you message, please do info at medicmaterials.com or send me a Facebook message uh, at medicmaterials.edu. I will forward everything to him. He loves memes, so create a great meme, and uh, I will send it right to him. Take care. Stay safe. Oh, nuts. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like more information on the podcast or to send us a call to review, visit medicmaterials.com forward slash podcast. To learn more information, like us on Facebook at medicmaterials.edu or watch our weekly instructional videos on the Medic Materials YouTube channel.